Welcome to Artwell. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today on the podcast, we are joined by Nicolas Deschamps. Each and every season of the show, I want to bring you guests who are complementary to the artist that we're profiling. And in the world of Salvador Dali today, there are few people as important as Nicolas Deschamps. Nicolas is the leading expert of Salvador Dali on the planet. He runs Auschwitz Deschamps, and he took over the archives after the passing of his father, who before him was an expert on Salvador Dali. And the way his father became an expert on Salvador Dali was because he was one of Salvador Dali's closest friends from the 1950s all the way up until the 1980s when he passed away. And so what that meant for Nicolas is that meant growing up, he would spend his summers in Karake and Porliga. And there were times as a child he would play in Salvador Dali's studio. And so when I say this is a big interview for this season of the show, I mean it. Not only is this Nicolas' first English-speaking podcast, this is his first podcast ever. And in our interview today, we discuss part of Salvador Dali that is largely misunderstood, and that is his spirituality. We hear the story about how his father once saved Dali's life in a fire. We dive into Dali's legacy, art forgery, and so much more. And before we get into it, I want to remind you that this season of the podcast is brought to you by the Arwell newsletter. On the Arwell newsletter, you're going to get three things. One, you're going to get quotes from the books I use to prepare for each and every season. You're going to get excerpts from interviews like this around key elements about what it means to do art well. And three, you're going to get essays exploring lessons we learn each season in a deeper way. So if you want to do that, you can subscribe to the newsletter now at the link down below. And now, without further ado, I am very excited to present to you my interview with Nicolas Deschamps. There are no breaks in this business. You make your breaks. The reason I'm in this room right now is because my music's very dope. Let's try to find something that people remember 20 years later. If you just truly love cinema with enough passion, then you can't help but make a good movie. Break rules. Leave the world more interesting for your being here. Make good art. Nicolas you have one of the most unique experiences when it comes to Salvador Dali. You, from my understanding, grew up spending your summers in Karake, and as a child, you used to play in his studio. And I was curious if you could kind of tell me about those experiences. Alors, I, I didn't have the opportunity to be a lot, you know, in the in the studio of Dali. Um, I have been a few times, but I was a kid, so it was not. I, I would say that I didn't have the chance because my maturity was not there to have a deep conversation with uh, the late Salvador Dali. More, uh, I, I, I discovered Salvador Dali by the work that my father was doing for him as uh, researching, uh, uh, searching for uh, uh, inspiration to help Dali and, uh, and things like that. So I, I, I discovered the... the the um, all the research that Dali was doing period by period. So can you explain that a little more? How was your father helping him find inspiration? I don't think Dali needed my father to find inspiration. But you know, they met in 1950. So Dali was like uh, 46. And my father was 24. So he was very happy to have these young guys uh, which have the same skill than him regarding curiosity for everything that around you. And we know that Salvador Dali was perfect for that, 
trying to interpret everything that happened to him. And I, I, I guess there is a lot of contemporary who, 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 uh, and who uh, live the same. Uh, the very unique, the very unique in Delhi is that it's used that for creation. So in fact, all his life was a kind of therapy. Yeah, the, 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 his main quest is a, is a spiritual quest for the faith, to acquire the faith. So he was very afraid about death and looking to acquire faith, it's to attain serenity. So a few times he says that uh, he, he, he believed, but he, he, he didn't accede to faith. But I think that was more for a marketing question because I have worked on a painting that he did in, in uh, Fatima, regarding the vision of Fatima. You know, these three boys that in 1917 had the, the vision of uh, Old Lady of Fatima. And uh, he met the sister Lucia, who was one of the, the three kids, the only one that uh, survived after the, the apparition. And we believe that at that time, probably, he obtains faiths because he wrote in 1951, like 10 years before, he wrote the mystic uh, manifesto. And the, the conclusion was that he, he was looking for faiths and uh, he, he was dreaming of painting a portrait of the Christ. And he did it 10 years later, which is the Christ del Valles. And he depicted the portrait of the Christ that he wanted to paint with a, a, a face very quiet and happy. And that, that's exactly his painting with the, the crown uh, of, of Thorn. And that was wow. That's an interesting like, interpretation of his career because a lot of the stuff that I've been looking at, everyone seems to focus a lot, less so on his, his faith and his progression towards faith and more so on the paranoia critical method. So how do those two things kind of fit together? How did he get from the paranoia critical method to faith? Did it help him find faith in any way? The paranoia critical method uh, helped him to, to for the creation, but you know, to interpret all what's happening around him and in his dream and the, 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 um, the um, coincidence between events. It's quite difficult, and it was even difficult for him to give a, a perfect, uh, a, a clear and simple uh, definition, which I did later on because of my maturity and everything. Now, it, this is my opinion. So for me, the, the, the critical uh, paranoiac method was, it's like you register everything that happened then you, you try to link them and, and uh, it generates the creation. So the association is irrational. But the way he put it on the canvas, he make it rational to be able to, to explain, to, to show that to the people. But as he says, even for him, sometimes he don't have the, the uh, explanation of the composition, the meaning. Of course, the composition, it's him who created. So uh, it was it was a very, uh, very much a study, you know. But I think that the, what, what he wanted was really to do cinema. But it was very difficult for him to work in team. 
there is one one drawing where where he wrote in French, but I'm I'm going to say it in English. The difficult is to finish. So you can imagine that in two dimension you have play only with two dimension. When you go to cinema, it's three dimension, and then the time. So you have four dimension. So that was more, even more difficult. I want to circle back to the paranoid critical method for a, for a second. I feel like a lot of people struggle with figuring out how to define it like you have. I think a lot of people try to interpret it as a form of painting, but as you're kind of describing, it's more so a form of intellectual thought that he's able to reflect in his painting. So it's not necessarily a style in its own right. It's more so a way of thinking. It's a mechanism. That's why he says that he, he, he was the only uh, authentic surrealist because the surrealist, it was the, the surrealist, it was at the end, uh, it was passive. With the method, the critical method, uh, the Heidegger critical method, uh, it's uh, unlimited. Why didn't automatism work for him? But I think he mixed it. He mixed the things. But his, 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 uh, his work with the critical uh, paranoiac method is deeper and it's more intellectual. The, the automatism, once you have done it, that's it. Now you, you enrich it by trying to, to make a composition with all the elements. It's, it's uh, richer and it's, uh, as I told you, it's unlimited. The automatism, you have to wait. You have to find something and then boom. With the the, uh, the paranoiac uh, uh, critical method, you can register in your mind what you have lived uh, for uh, uh, the people you have met, something that happened or whatever. Then you stock it and then you apply it in a composition. Is that still allowing him to channel his subconscious? Because I know for the surrealist, from my understanding, the subconscious was so important. That was the objective of automatism, was to allow them to kind of channel their subconscious in their work. But was the paranoid critical method a way of still channeling his subconscious? When you say channeling, is is uh, to capture the the subconscious. Correct, yeah. Oh yes, he was con- he, he was he was doing that also. But I think it was more intellectual, you know. It was more const- an intellectual construction. But based on the subconscious, but more of that with the reality, with everything that happened in reality. For example, my father did a photo. Uh, one day, the fish, the the the, uh, the people in uh, in Porligat bringing uh, rocks because there is fantastic rocks in in uh, Porligat. And then the day after, the fisherman come back with a baby dolphin that they they, they, they get in their net uh, by mistake, and the form was ex- nearly the same than the rocks. So it was like, wow, the, everything is bring to me, it means something. And then he says it's the, the hard and the soft. So you have the, the mineralogy, the, the mineral stuff, which is the rocks, and you have the biological uh, stuff, which is like uh, putrefaction. It could disappear, it could vanish, but the rocks, they, this is an example how we create images and uh, trying to... Uh, to find link and uh, to try to find a you know, message or whatever. And you mentioned earlier how Dali said he didn't necessarily know what that message was or the meaning behind some of his images. Do you think that that was 
true or was he more so trying to leave that open to interpretation for his audience? Because as soon as he would tell them what he thinks it means, that's what everyone else is going to accept. It, it, uh, the, the artwork by Dali uh, makes you interrogate your subconscious. That's why it's, it's so popular, you know, because when you see his painting, so the, the thing is that you, you can, you can say he's crazy, whatever, blah, 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 but the, the, uh, the way he was painting was to ensure that the people will, even if they don't agree with him, they can say, wow, the painting are beautiful. Like the, the great master of the Renaissance, you know? And did the great masters of the Renaissance have a greater impact than people realize on him? I feel like that's kind of overlooked by many people when it comes to looking at his, his influences. The, the thing with Dali is that, you know, the, the classical, the academic art world. Okay, if, if I come back, uh, Dali was in the Surrealist in 29. Start to be with the, the Surrealist. Then he was ejected in 34. But they, they, they knew that he was so powerful that more or less he was still connected. But at the end, 39-40, he left to U.S. And then all his painting from the very surrealist period doesn't have any, um, doesn't have an angel represented, doesn't have um, biblical... Uh, a representation and then in 3940 he turns to that but the 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 second part of his creation after 40 wasn't that popular in the classical art world it, it was rediscovered recently like the 20 the 20 uh, last year so now the people are considering that, that but when the bomb atomic happened then Dali was was uh, convinced that there will be a, a, a renaissance, a second renaissance. But the world was, at turn after Second World War, the world have, 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 have turned completely uh, materialist. And he was, he was alone for, for the quest of spirituality. Uh, this is the, the great difference between the, the surrealist period and the, the, the after 40 period. So you... When he was in the U.S., he worked on ballet. So he did his first ballet. He, he, he conceived a trilogy. The first ballet was Dream by, by Louis II of Bavaria, which was a hero for him and, and Lorca. So this, is, this represents the Romantism. And then after, he, he did uh, Labyrinth. Labyrinth was the... Classicism, because it's inspired about the myth of uh, of the 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 field uh, the field Ariane Ariane and the Minotaur. The Minotaur represents the the surrealist. So <laughs> the Minotaur is killed, you know, in the legend, and it's it's represented in the in the ballet. And then the third the third was uh, another ballet which was never rela realized, and it was a tradition. And uh, he conceived uh, what we called what we called um, a mystery. The mystery was some piece that was uh, played in front of the cathedral during the medieval period. And the first one he wrote two, never realized, because it was too religious, you know. 
but there is the, the, the first one, Mysteria. It's the story of a young priest who wants to, uh, to uh, convince the people to follow uh, God and the priest, etc. And then he, he goes down to kill the Minotaur, which is in the catacomb. And when he came back, he, he, he have put the head of the Minotaur. So the people look at it and the soldier arrives and kill him. And they discover that it was the young, the young priest. And so, and then, then they, they uh, convert. And then the, there is a second one that he wrote as a mystery that was never realized. For those people who aren't necessarily as informed on Dali, they might be surprised to hear the fact that he wrote these these ballets, these plays. But for those that know Dali, he was very comfortable moving in and out of different art forms. And so what do you think it was about him that allowed him to go from painting to graphic works to playwriting to filmmaking to sculpture making? Why was he such a diverse artist? How was he able to move between these so easily? But it's very simple because he was a genius in the same sense that Da Vinci, come on, Da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa and he was conceiving battle, uh, battle tools and things like that, you know, and it's very particular about Dali because, he, but he was brilliant, you know, this guy enlightened the life of my father. And now after it enlightened my, my, my life, even if I didn't uh, practice him as my father did it, because my father, he lived with him. He lived the, the, all the Dalinian impact and the, 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 his uh, intelligence and shining. It, it, makes, uh, it makes his life, it enlightens his life. But now after spiritually, it enlightens mine because it helps you. You study these guys, it helps you in your own life, you know. But of course, you... you you look at the paintings, they are very strong. But then after, if you dig a bit and you learn about the context and everything, wow. You mentioned earlier how his spiritual paintings were originally not accepted by the intellectual art community when he was first making them. But over the last 20 years or so, there's been a resurgence. I'm curious what you think has led to that resurgence, especially an appreciation for the second half of his career. I think it's the evolution of the society. Explain. The influence of the Renaissance is like, if you look at the painting of the Renaissance, it's very linked to spirituality. It's, uh, and now you have uh, one great uh, doctor and writer uh, in US, which is Raymond Moody, who wrote in 72, The Life After Life. And he studied after the near-death experience and things like that. And it becomes scientifically accepted by the, the scientific community. You know, it's the classical problem between the, the science and the spirituality. I think now there is all these tools that if you connect to art, could make the people very much understand uh, some of the painting of Dali because he made reference about the great painter of the Renaissance and the spirituality. So I hope this will work, you know. Another thing, too, you mentioned how oftentimes science and spirituality don't necessarily go together, but Dali was unique in the fact that he was both scientific and spiritual, so he was able to kind of combine those two things in his works as well. Correct, but, but it's the challenge, always a challenge to, to, uh, to merge science and spirituality, because 
everybody wants to have the proof of the existence of God, but you have you have the angel. I like the image of the angel, and the angel are present in in many religions, including the the in India they have a correspondence with the angel. The angel, I say the angel, but you can say my little voice who came to me and say mm, you shouldn't do that. What I believe is that you can you can trust this voice or my angel. <laughs> And uh, it helps you in your in your uh, in your life. And we have obstacles, and uh, it's in the Bible also. And this is to uh, to erase us. Even it seems to be negative, it's still negative. It's it have to it have to happen. And the the objective of of uh, of the life is to arise spiritually. That's my opinion. <laughs> of course. And earlier you mentioned how Dali is a genius. I feel like a lot of people argue whether or not he was a genius or whether he was crazy. And I'm curious if you could define the difference between those two things. Alors, the, the, the people they think that, that Dali was uh, provocative and, uh, and uh, crazy. But as he says, the only difference between me and a crazy man is that I'm not crazy. So I think all this provocation was to shake the people. Uh, there is a famous conference that he did uh, in Paris at La Sorbonne and the students was like, wow, that was great. We want a second one because he says very serious stuff, but, you know, to break the rhythms and then he, he, he turn on absurd. So one can say, but it's provocation and blah, blah, blah. But I think it was perfectly in question in, in question of marketing that was brilliant. So I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying is Dali used theatrics as a way to get his message across, to get people to pay attention and listen to what he was saying. And also uh, to have the message strong, you have to, to uh, not only uh, do a painting, but you have to do a painting and to have, you know, a declaration and to make noise around and things. It's not only uh, uh, something, uh, uh, you know, peaceful in two dimension only. This was a, a marketing operation. Of course, he was very ahead of his time when it came to marketing and branding as well. Yeah, absolutely. He was always in advance. And I'm, I'm, uh, I, I believe that one day it will be possible to see one hologram that was done in the 70s, composition by him, and it's a 360 hologram where he's sitting. You have a painting in front of him. Gala is seated in front of the painting. And there is few objects around. And I met the guys who uh, record it. And, uh, but now for the technology, uh, it's not uh, yet possible. But my dream is to have this artwork in 3D, but resize, human size. And you can cross the hologram the future that will be possible by itself it's an exhibition you know it would be considered as let's say the first quantic artwork which is just unbelievable to think about the fact that he was working on this in the 70s i believe right that's when he's working on holographics 75 i think so far i remember he did few huh? but this one is the great one he did one with the brain and, and alice cooper 
that the time the, 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 the technology will be ready to realize it, that will be an artwork by itself. Speaking of technology, I believe it was in 2007 or 2008, you and your father were able to preserve some of Dolly's DNA to ultimately try to isolate the gene of the genius, correct? Yes, yes. I, I did uh, contact an exhibition that was in Belgium where they have some pieces from Da Vinci, but only one say yes, but they asked for 30,000 euros to accede to the piece. And finally, um, this uh, DNA uh, adventure, we were looking to have a second source. But when we start, the technology was quite good, but not as the technology that there is now. Meaning that at that time, it's like you have a camera, digital camera, one megapixel. And today you have 40, 50, 50 uh, megapixel camera. And uh, also we needed to have a second source because we used the, my father kept as relics, the nasogastric tube, because after the fire, Dali was, was fed by a, a tube inside. To be scientifically uh, correct, we needed a second source, not a source of a stuff coming from the Charm archive, you know, so we have tried with some letter from uh, Dali to Coco Chanel. And finally, by didn't match, you know, and we didn't, uh, we didn't get, uh, the doctor was like, oh yes, the ADN is everywhere. No, if you have uh, the light and the uh, humidity or whatever, then it's destroyed. And then recently now, I, I hear that they can reconstitute the DNA from the mitochondriac. You have the nucleus and with the uh, nasogastric tube, the doctor was able to get the DNA from the nucleus. But usually you will find some uh, DNA uh, not complete and for, from the mitochondriac. But now the technology can reconstitute the DNA from pieces of DNA coming from the mitochondriac. The dream is to compare the DNA of Dali and the DNA of, uh, of Da Vinci, you know. With the attempt of trying to find similar traits within the DNA? Maybe. You know, in, in, uh, in 2010, the University of Genova uh, in Switzerland, Geneva, uh, they, they compare three DNA, the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter. The grandmother had a trauma. They, they were able to find in the DNA where it is and the frequency. Then they find at the same place in the DNA of the mother, but less. And they find it also on the daughter, but much more. Meaning that the trauma is passing. Okay, this is the DNA of, of one family. Now, if you think about two, uh, two genius, Da Vinci from the Renaissance and Dali from the 20th century, by, you could say uh, maybe there is a link. Certainly they are not from the same family, but maybe there is something that, that could explain why these guys was enlightened. And so are you still working towards this today or is this more so just something that's kind of, if the opportunity is there, you'll pursue it, but you're not pursuing it actively right now? If there, if there is the opportunity, yes. 
If not, uh, we will wait. Because, you know, now I'm nearly 60, so I'm like more, okay, if it happens, it happens. But you know, sometimes the more you want something, the less it happens. Because on this inner project, I have worked years and years, and finally I gave up. And then I told myself, maybe the, the maybe it's not uh, it's not now that it should happen. Maybe it's gonna be later. Who knows? So I, I would say that I, I, you have to be humble, you know. So you say, as I, I do as much as I can. And then let the people be, be after me and continue the work and see how it is. And so what does a day-to-day look like for you now? Alors, now the day is more, uh, it's the expertise to see uh, the, the, so sometimes it's funny, you know, because you play with the, the forger that I, I met before the COVID, I met one forger of Dami. He was uh, condemned in a, uh, Los Angeles, so he had been to, to prison, and I, I was happy to speak with him. He's not an enemy, it's, it was an adversary, you know. You play, it's like a chess. You play to see, uh, is it him, that he, blah, 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 blah. So we had fun. And it was for a documentary for Netflix, and it should come. I don't know why it's, it's not uh, uh, broadcast yet. By a famous, uh, apparently a good director, a young guy, sir. Brilliant. So then the COVID arrived, and the, but but I received I mean a few months ago the, the guys, one of the team say yes we are still working on the on the the post production, but probably everything was stopped because of COVID. Huh? Of course. What did you did you learn anything speaking with the forger? Yes and no because strangely, we wanted to make an inter a conversation between. Uh, between the, the expert and the forger. That would have been fantastic. And my dream is to do it, to do this, uh, this interview. So I was waiting because uh, they, they were a, a documentary uh, broadcast just before COVID and it was, it's called Signed Dali. It, it's about, uh, it's about, you know, expertizing Dali and trying to understand and, and, and things like that. And we wanted to make a volume two and to include the, the, the discussion with the forger. Because for the forger, it's on one side, on one side, it's easy money. But you know, usually it's not the artist who make the more money, it's the intermediary. It's an example, the guy is going to get 10 bucks and the intermediary is going to sell it for 1,000. And uh, so uh, on, on, on one hand, I think for the forger, there is a big challenge. And this guy was brilliant huh? because he was, he was, uh, he was producing uh, on a, at the same time a daddy, but the daddy, it was difficult for him, you know, <laughs> but he was also, uh, doing a fake, uh, money and they were a scandal because he sold some, uh, of his painting, uh, to, uh, James Stunt, one billionaire in, uh, in London and the guys loans some painting to the foundation of uh, Prince Charles. And he put the fake Delhi that I told him before. I said, no, it's a fake, come on. So they were a little scandal. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
but that was fun. And then this forger, when when it happens, he make a declaration to the press saying, "No, no, it's me who have painted the painting," because he did not want to have more problems. You know, <laughs> his name was uh, his name is comment il s'appelle hein? Anthony Tetro. A nice guy, you know. The forger, when it's bad quality, you see that the guys he just want to make money. When it's good quality, then you say, hmm, that's an interesting word. I have seen, before COVID, I've seen two pieces in Bonhams, a new hand, very well done. The problem is that the guys, he used one stuff from one period, one other stuff from another period, and he put it together in the in the composition, and that that didn't work. But it was quite interesting. No, they want the, each time they want they put too much. There is an accumulation, and you say that doesn't. What else do you look for when trying to determine whether or not a painting is authentic or not? Uh, sometimes I uh, sometimes I ask for a for analysis of the pigment. That's for the oil on canvas, for the datation. When I have duped, I make a reversed uh, analysis. So I say it's a fake. And then you analyze the credibility of the painting. But I, for example, I have two paintings in Italy. Difficult, possible, but it's strange because it's this painting up from the, the 60s and uh, never exhibited, never shown. So you say, how, how comes? It could happen because it have it have happened. Huh? There is uh, two paintings that in the last ten years I I expertise. One have taken like three years. A painting from the young period, and there is another one from '32. A small painting like like this, very simple. But uh, I analyze it. There were some uh, analysis of the pigment, and it matched. I didn't. I didn't need the the pigment analysis. I did it just to be sure about the datation and that nobody could say anything. You know, no nobody could say it's doubtful, because there is some paintings from the surrealist period that are unknown. But the catalog, but the catalog, it's only a title. No mesure, and sometimes that he was changing the title. So we have recorded everything you do, and you say, we know that this exhibition from a 35 in this gallery, there is unidentified painting. How does it feel for you when you come across a Dali painting you've never seen before? When you authenticate a piece that you that is brand new to you? Yeah, very excited. Very excited. The painting of the young period, it's called the uh, Intrauterine Birth of Salvador Dali. Wow, that was an adventure. And the guys, he, he, he bought it for hundred bucks in uh, in a shop in uh, near uh, near Barcelona, and he says that must be a Dali. And then we start the query. He, he inquire a lot, and at, at the end, after three three years, we say, okay, it's authentic. But you you're very careful. You know, sometimes you're very afraid huh? because you don't want to make any mistake. And now I, I am. And more I, I am more in serenity because I say I do what I can as much as I can regarding the knowledge that I have. And if people that that's the painting in the Sign Dali documentary, correct? Yeah. I think we speak about the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a the telescope. Yeah, yeah, they call it the telescope, but in fact, 
it's a ma. And that was very interesting because there is this, this ma. And at, at that time, after 32, he put the ma in, in other's painting. And I was like, what does it mean? And then I was in Barcelona now. And I was in a cab and I look at the facade of a, of a building and I saw, I saw, uh, I saw the, the stuff for, for, to have the, the flag. And I said, this is it. So it was really a question about uh, his uh, legitimacy, legitimacy, uh, legitimate and the, the, uh, his identity. Because there is something very curious in the official paper of the birth of his sister, the father declared the year of his birth younger. And I know that the father, the grandfather of Salvador Dali, his grandmother uh, lived with a, a man. The man passed away. And then she was with uh, Dali, the grandfather. And because they were the civil war at one moment, it's difficult to find all the papers because they, they, had, they married later. And then there is the birth of the father and it's, it's unclear. It's unclear if the, the father of Dali is the last copulation of the first husband of the grandmother or the second one Dali. Or is it a problem because he, he is born while his parent wasn't married at the, at the church? Something like that. There is, there is something unclear. At, 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 at such a point that I was studying the photo of the father of Dali and his brother to compare if they look older, uh, if this one look older compared to his, to his, uh, his brother. The brother of uh, the father of Dali was a, a doctor. It looks that you have uh, a problem of uh, legitimacy. Dali had a problem of legitimacy. So everybody jumped on, on the on the on the fact that he had a dead brother. But I think it's deeper, you know. I think probably it's deeper. And everybody says, but why the parents uh, why the parents uh, call uh, Dali the same name than the dead brother? Some people say it was stupid. No, that was the rules in Spain. The first son bear the the name of the father. So the first Dali passed away. So he was the first Dali. So he, they had to, to call him uh, Salvador. And you can even see that it's different names because their middle names are different. Salvador, Dali, Salvador, Yacinto. Uh, Felipe. Felipe. I think there is four. Salvador, Yacinto, Felipe, and there is a fourth one. But that's why they call him Salvador, because the first Salvador was uh, was dead. Huh? But that ended up ultimately being his relationship with his, quote-unquote, relationship with his brother would influence him throughout his life, correct? Like the, the impact of having the same name, but also I believe his parents, I read in a book that they told him that he was the reincarnation of his dead brother, and he kind of believed that throughout his life, right? Maybe I'm wrong. No, no, but it's probably one, one, one moment. He had this question, but you know, I think it's a mixed between the legitimacy that probably the father had a problem because of the story of the grandfather and the grandmother, 
And then in addition, you have the dead browser, but uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's in your life when you have a big obstacle and you suffer, then your maturity rise when you have, you, you, you suffer loss or whatever. Imagine that Salvador Dali, when the, the mother was pregnant, the first Salvador passed away and uh, a few weeks later, the mother was pregnant of the second Salvador. So imagine during the nine months, he had all the, the feeling and the sensation of the mother who suffered because she lost one, one, one son and who is happy because a second son is coming, a second baby. So that's why he says that he have the notion of death at the first uh, breath of hair he took after his birth. His birth. During the nine months, he had these two feelings, you know, like the suffering of the mother, then the notion of death, and then, wow, he's growing, he's going to life, and then he arrived, he take a breath, and there is this image of the death. That's why I think he was, he was very much uh, uh, mature about the life, and all. that's why he painted the, the, soft, uh, the soft watch in 31. That was like, wow. And in, uh, when he was 15 years old, he wrote uh, six articles about the great master. Very short. Studium. Yeah, in studium. So you have, uh, I think you have Durer. I knew it perfectly at one time, but now I forget it. But then you have uh, Durer. I don't remember what he says about Durer. But I know he says that uh, El Greco was the spiritual painter. Goya represents the soul of Spain. There is few, few, few paintings, a few articles. That I don't think he wrote an article about Raphael because Raphael did very much influence him. Yeah, the, the iconic uh, painting from Raphael. He did, I think he had one about Da Vinci, Velasquez, I believe. And I can't remember the other one from Studio. Yes, Velasquez. Uh, that I can find out right now. Voilà, Goya, El Greco, Durer, Leonardo da Vinci, Miguel Angelo, and Velázquez. And so even at a, a young age, I believe he was 15 when he wrote Studium, when they made that magazine. Yeah, yeah. Old, huh? Imagine. And he also read, what was the, the art books earlier before that, that he read? Um, uh, the, Ga the Gowans art books earlier in his life as well, which was the old masters, the paintings of the old masters that he, he used to look at growing up as well. So the old masters have really been kind of like a theme throughout his entire life. But was it in 50 Secrets of Magic Craftsmanship? He wrote, if you study the old masters, everyone will respect you or something along the lines of that? The, yes, there is this uh, table where it says this one is zero, this one is 10. And you have, uh, I think, Léger, Ferdinand Léger is zero. <laughs> oh, he knew, he certainly knew what to say to, to get people speaking, to get people's attention. And the thing is, this uh, the, the the image as short as possible, as strong as possible, and the quote very short to to be uh, because the people now and imagine now today, <laughs> you need to be shorter and shorter. Huh? The people don't have the the concentration and attention to free for for long uh, long stuff. So he was good for that. Just as talented of a speaker and a writer as he was a painter in some respects. 
Absolutely. I wanted to ask your opinion on the Dolly continuity. Is that a branding play by him to reuse iconography throughout his career so people are able to easily identify his work? For marketing? No, I don't think so. I think it's really an obsession. What do you mean? By an obsession. So this stuff remains in his brain and continue and he says, and maybe in some case he says there is this image persistence, the persistence of this image. I don't know why, so I continue to use it. And we'll see maybe one day I will have uh, the the uh, I will have the explanation or, 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 and then I, I will have uh, understand that uh, I have uh, I have explored this image as much as possible and now I have to to change or a new one income. It's like the dentelier, the lace maker, it was an obsession. And it's only later on in the 50s that he starts to develop it with the bust, with the, the rhinoceros arm and, and so on. Let's say that even when he's a kid, he has these, these things that are incoming and he stuck it in his subconscious. And then suddenly during his life, later on, boom, something new arrives and then he link it with this old image that he has stuck in his subconscious. And then the critical method paranoiac starts and then you have the construction. What do you think is most misunderstood about Dali? La chose qui est la moins comprise chez lui, I would say the spirituality. Because, you know, the people, when, when he, he, he used some, uh, some uh, moment of the Bible or you recycle a painting uh, linked to the Bible from the Renaissance, then the people are like, no, no, no. But it's not, it, it, it is not because he's, uh, he's a Catholic, it is because it's, uh, it's a moment that depicts, you know, a, a strong uh, text or a strong happening in the, in the Bible. It, maybe if he, if he was born in, uh, I don't know, in Lebanon or whatever, it would have been the Koran. But he's born in, the, in uh, Spain, so it's the, 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 the roots are the, the, the Catholic, the Christianity. The good question would have if he if he had born in a Jewish family because the the one day I had a long uh, discussion with a Jewish friend of mine and we were discussing about the science and the religion and he said in the Jew religion never you try to mix the two we know that it's two different places two different uh, things and never we try to to connect or to study one. Uh, versus the other or whatever, which is not the, the, the case in the Christianity. Why? Because Christianity is bicephal. You have the, the, the power on earth and you have the spiritual power. The people, they, they had to, to uh, you know, it's, it's like the, 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 the Catholic, the religion. And then there were this conflict between the science and the spirituality. But I think that's the power of his images is it allows us to confront this duality of our of science and religion and he, he makes it more digestible we're able to confront it through his art as opposed to having to think of it in the abstract yeah and then it, it interrogates yourself and it, the images are very strong huh? when he paints all the madonna with the the particle and the things you are like whoa do you have any personal favorite dolly images no not really because all are uh are a specific. I like the recently I, I uh, expertise the the cosmic Madonna. 
56 or 58. So it's the, the Madonna, the 16 Madonna by uh, Raphael. Yes. And you have the, the interpretation by Dali. It's a wow. And it's a human size. And the painting is very big. Very nice painting. Do you have any memories of Dali that stand out from when you were a child? No, not really. What I remember is that he was very uh, uh, civilized. Uh, in the in the intimacy, he was normal, you know. And he had, he had a good sense of humor. He was pretty peaceful. Huh? And I remember also, I've seen, a, I hear an interview of Amandalia, and she said that uh, she, when she met him, he was awful. It was... Uh, in a cafe uh, or whatever, you know, it was very provocative. And then she came to visit him uh, the day after and she said he was delicious. What do you think his legacy is today? Because I feel like it has shaped and molded and changed so often over the last, even during his life and even the time since his death. Like, what do you think his legacy is today? By his legacy, uh, well, what I have seen is that well, the people are making money with that. They, they try to, uh, to make... Uh, they, they do exhibition, which is good. Uh, his legacy, uh, you know, I think in the seventies, he gave up. He continued his job to see what was going on around him, the new discovery, and blah blah blah. But then he was like, "I'm tired because I didn't uh, create a movement of Renaissance or." Uh, the speed, look, the, the, the people are too materialist, so I'm going to have fun. That's the period where you have the photo with the crown, the divine Dali, and blah, blah, blah. Then you have him with a, a, a white robe. It's an, it's an allusion to the great, uh, the great philosopher from Mallorca, Raimundo Lulu. This guy was brilliant, Raimundo Lulu, from the medieval period. Huh? So he had, uh, he had fun at that time. You know, he started to have party in his house and I think that he gave up you know in the 70s 70s is uh, in the 1960s uh, 66 so nearly 70 years old I start to make a, a lot of lithograph making money and things like that but he wasn't really uh, he wasn't really on money you know because gala and all the, st the stuff around uh, so the legacy, uh, I think one, one stuff could be really good to make him, uh, to make his legacy uh, coming again, because it could be a post, post artwork. It's the, 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 uh, the 3D uh, hologram. That will be something. The legacy, the legacy, I would say for me, the legacy is the search of spirituality and faith. That's perfect. That's a great, I feel like it's a great summary of our conversation today has been a reinterpretation for those who are unfamiliar with the later half of his career and with his spirituality. And I'm glad we were able to focus no, on that a lot with this interview. Two years ago, I was in Shanghai. So I went to the area where you have all the painting, the gallery and things like that. Wow. Sometimes it was good, sometimes not that good. And then I was at a dinner and they were a young Chinese painter. And then we start discussion. And I said, but I think you have to rediscover your, your country. You have to go back to your roots, to your civilization, because China during the, the cultural revolution, I think the period was like five or six years. 
everything have been washed. That was the, the discussion. And if you look to Dali, he was always looking at the great master and the past. One can say, well, but he recycled the past. It's not exactly that. It's that you have to look at the roots and the roots. By uh, The roots are the roots. No, absolutely. And I, I agree with you that not enough artists and creatives today are taking the time to look back and learn from those that came before them. But it's understandable because the guys they say, no, now we want to forget the past and we want to make new stuff. You say, okay, but you will see, it's not strong enough. It reminds me, there's a letter that Dar Dolly's father wrote to a newspaper. I don't remember the exact context of it, but he said that in order for, so I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but in order for art to be accepted, it can't be a total, re it can't be a total doing away with what came before. You have to incorporate the old works into the new works. You can't be wholly new. It was this letter that his father wrote to a newspaper, I believe in the twenties, but I could be wrong on the timing of that. Um, and that's what, what you're saying makes me think of that, where it's like, you have to incorporate the works of the old masters into the new. You can't just be wholly new. Otherwise people will reject it. Yes, but I think more of that for me to, uh, to, uh, integrate the old work of the great master or even before it's because you continue the work the message, you know, and I mean, the message, uh, the, 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 the big uh, question of our life is uh, why I'm here, uh, does God exist or not? And those are the questions Dolly was trying to answer with his work. Correct. And probably yes, but also it was more, I think the, his painting, uh, you know, it could really help the people because when you look at his painting, you interrogate your uh, your subconscious as you're like, but why these guys have painted all this? And then you start to think, and then you think about your own life. So this is very constructive. Is there any particular painting for you that made you reevaluate your own life? Not really, you know, probably because I never asked me because, you know, as a specialist, I'm always focusing uh, this period, this period. So, so I never try to wash everything and to say, okay, I'm going to the, yes, the painting is the, the uh, portrait of the Christ. Why? Because the serenity of the face of the Christ is marvelous. And this, you have reproduction of this painting, but when you have the painting in front of you, it's totally different, not totally different, but it's like, whoa. Super strong, super strong. Alors maybe I like this painting because I'm Christian. But you know, the context when he says in 51 that he wants to paint a portrait of the Christ with serenity and happiness, and 10 years later he do it because he paint this painting because in Valles, close to Barcelona, they were uh, a, a river that comes out of the, 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 the track and it was a disaster. So he paint, paint, he paint this painting in order to collect money to help the city of Valles because people die, you know, in this, uh, in this, in this uh, river catastrophe. Ten years later, and this coincides with uh, his visit to Sister Lucia in Portugal. So to, to paint the, the vision of hell. 
in US and they sold it, uh, I think in the 2000s, they sold it and I've seen it in, in a private collection in uh, Connecticut, US. And then he painted it uh, because Sister Lucia with the vision of 1917 in Fatima, Portugal is the only, she passed away in 205, I think, in the 2000, yeah, 205. It's the only alive person who had a vision of hell. I believe there's a documentary, actually, if anybody does want to know more, there's a documentary about it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. that painting, was it was lost for a long time, right? Like no one knew where it was or something like that? Yeah, they hid it under the uh, nun bed. And when, when was it discovered? Like how long was it underneath the nun's bed for? I don't know, like 10 or 15 years. Because, you know, it didn't work. John Effert asked for this painting because a young guy wrote him and says, you should ask Salvador Dali to paint a painting that promotes the Blue Army and the message of Fatima. So they did it, and it, it didn't work. The painting was not, didn't break everything. The, the, even some members of the church didn't like the painting. So, so with Dali always, because he's in advance, you know, we will have some stories like this. What do you think it is about specific images of his that are loved universally or that are his most famous paintings, like the persistence of memory? Why is that one the one of all that people seem to remember the most? Because you have the time. And the time, it's a strong image. Although what I'm going to say is the usual stuff that the people say, you know. But it's something that I want to re uh, restudy, uh, to restudy and to find some other tracks. May uh, but you have the putrefaction with the hands, and uh, but I, I I don't think he was he he he, he didn't he didn't uh, he didn't know that this painting would be so popular. The other one is the is the the sleep. 1937, and the sleep was done for a curtain on on a ballet. Nobody knows that. I, I, we discovered that because a, a guy, a Japanese art historian, just before Second World War, uh, wrote about it and discovered it. And we were like studying it and we say, yes, this guy is right. And it was sold privately, I think, in the Gulf for $50 million. This is a record. But it's private, you know, it's not in auction. But I have two sources who confirm the price. I think it's the Qatar who bought it. So they, they came to Europe and there is a few guys, ex-Sotheby's guys, dealer, who, uh, who make the deal. And only the Qatar would have, I don't know if it's Qatar, but it's one country of the Gulf because, you know, this painting would have been impossible to leave Spain because it's a national treasure. So it must have been, you know, for a, a museum outside who have uh, some uh, card in hands that you can't, uh, you can't play against. Is there any, with the idea of this, uh, the photo from Fatima being lost for 10 to 15 years, you only recently discovering that this was for, for the ballet, are there any mysteries right now around Dali that you're still trying to find answers on? But there is few painting that was uh, taken by the Nazi in Paris. Three, 
or they have been destroyed, or they are uh, somewhere, you know. Because there is, with the, the artwork that have been seized by the Nazi, there is no prescription. I meaning that if this painting come on the surface on seal, boom, it will be seized. And it was uh, in the collection of Edward James. Edward James was a close friend of, of Salvador Dali. So the foundation contacted me and said, okay, if uh, one day they come to you, uh, please uh, alert us. Was Edward James a part of the Zodiac or was he after the Zodiac? The Zodiac, I have the constitution of the Zodiac. I don't remember if it was at the Zodiac. I don't think so because he had, a, I think it's after, because he had a particular contract for the year 37, meaning that the collection of 37 was to be in the collection of, uh, of uh, Edward James. They had the chance huh, to find this guy. Huh? He was very helpful, huh, Edward James. I find uh, researching about uh, US, I find a document where Edward James is writing to the White House to have some news about his friend Salvador Dali uh, in 40 because he wanted to know where he was because they, they, they uh, escaped France. Gala went directly to Portugal. Dali stopped in Figueras. And then I was thinking that after Figueras, he was going to, to, uh, to Portugal, to Lisbon, because they left from Lisbon in August 40 by the ex-Cambion, but he stopped in, uh, in Madrid. He had to make his paper in Madrid at, at the U.S. Embassy. And, and uh, Edward James received a, an answer from the White House. I think he had a relation in the White House, and the guy said, well, well no problem. Daddy is in Madrid. He's waiting for his paper to come uh, to come to New York. Imagine. How important do you think his time in the U.S. and the publicity he was able to garner and his ability of playing the media and getting on TV and being featured everywhere plays into his legacy? Do you think that he became so much additionally famous while he was in the U.S. that that has contributed to his overall legacy and part of the reason he's still remembered today? Oh, yes, absolutely. There is a good illustration. Dali about the, the, uh, about the, the journalist. He says in Europe, the journalist arrived, the article have been already written. The guys is going to check few stuff and that's it. And then he wrote in US, the guys arrive they are, uh, and they are open. Meaning you didn't write your article, you didn't write your interview with me before. You have like few lines. And that was it. That was the difference between the old world Europe and US, which he says that the, the guys was, the, the journalist was much more with much more energy and going to the to the the, the the more important thing immediately, you know. He was one day he was wa- walking in the street in New York. But that was I think that was it the seventeen with my father. And at that time he, he had a, a coat, a panther coat. You know, a long black panther uh, coat. That was in winter because he used to, to pass the winter in New York. And he sla- he says to my father, Look, Deschamps, here I can walk 
I can make some gesticulation. Nobody cares. <laughs> you can you can walk like this. Nobody is going to be shocked or whatever. <laughs> Now today you can you can be dressed uh, when uh, however you want. Huh? But at that time that was not that easy. Huh? And what was the relationship like between Dali and your father? But the relationship uh, because my mother also was very much accepted by the by the couple. Huh? I think it was, uh, it's because both of them were very curious about everything around them. My father was quite pudic, you know, so I didn't have a conversation with my father uh, about the spirituality and if they, if they were some discussion about spirituality between him and Dali, because when I look at the artwork and everything, I said, but Dali was totally spiritual. So how comes that you you didn't have any any conversation? And my father didn't reply. He was uh, he was very pudic. I think his role was to uh, as a witness and then to help him sometime. But you have to stay humble, you know. I I won't say that uh, he, 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 we we could say that in some cases he have been a catalyzer. But Daddy was so brilliant. He didn't need anybody, you know. When you say he, your father, when he was kind of there to document everything, was that through the pictures and things like that? Yeah, picture. And sometimes, remember that at that time, you didn't have uh, internet or whatever. Huh? My father, he had a big, uh, a big library. Yeah? I remember that because when I was studying, I asked, I need uh, documentation about that. Yes, I have a book. So for Dali, Dali needed the guys to make some research and to bring him images and things like that. So my father was going, find the book, start to shoot the book, to make some uh, prints, you know, for him, for, uh, because uh, in many paintings, you have influence from, uh, from photos or other stuff. And your father was the one who pulled them out of the fire, correct? Correct. Did he ever talk to you about that? He told me the story. Yeah, uh, the he was in the room behind. You had the room of Dali, a large room, and then the kitchen and the nurse. And my fa my father was sleeping in the room just under this. Uh, so he hear people uh, running. Then he comes he comes up. And then he saw the, because they were a, a, a civil guard, a, a policeman. But the policeman told my father that he can't come in because they were some fog, some smoke, not fire, smoke. My father asked to have a, a, a towel with water. He says to the nurse and the, the cops, go and call the fireman. Then he put the, the towel on his, on his head and he entered in the room. And the first time he didn't see Dali, I don't remember. He didn't see Dali, or he, he located Dali, and Dali was was uh, brave and uh, intelligent. He went down his bed on the ground, and he was probably in one corner because when you have the fog, you have to be close to the ground to to get air. So my father went out. And then he changed probably some the towel to have a new one. And then he enters and he says, when Dali came down from his bed, probably the les draps, you know, the the curtains. Yeah, the curtains. 
was he was half on the curtains. So he says, I took the, the curtains. I, uh, I uh, see if he was on the curtains and then he took the curtains with the, the, the Dali on the curtains out of the room. That's how it works. And this is after that he had, uh, he had the, the nasogastric tube. That was 1984, in August of 1984. So far, I remember. When did you start working with your father? I started to work when I was 16, 17. I didn't work full time at that time, but I was helping for the photos and so, things like that. I remember in 82, when uh, Gala passed away, I went to Pubola to help my father to shoot because he had to shoot the artwork. Because when Gala passed away, um, her daughter asked for half of the collection, which is logic because it was her mother. So they were long tractation to see which painting, which not, blah, blah, blah. And my father wanted to shoot them to have it in archive before it left, it leave uh, to uh, Cécile, you know, Cécile Eluard. So that was 82, uh, 83. So 83, I was like 18, 19 years old. And have you been working as an archivist pretty much ever since? Could you do it again? Have you been working as a Dali expert ever since that time? Like when you started, have you had any other job not, or has this not, been your only know. job? Not, not as an expert because uh, you need like 10 to 15 years to, uh, to acquire, you know, the skills. There is no school for the expertise. Yes, sure, you can go to school to see uh, if it's gouache or oil or whatever. But for Dali, you have, uh, you have to register the image in your subconscious. And actually, we have 9,000 references in database. So it can be a little drawing, very simple, until a big artwork. The, the number of paintings is around 1,200. So the people ask, but this is very much. No, if you compare to the production of Picasso, it's nothing. Picasso, it's probably 20 times this, you know, but it's not the same style. Huh? So I'm sure when Dali was doing one painting, Picasso, he was painting uh, 15 paintings. Huh? And uh, oh, I studied I study architecture, and then I had to go to the military service for one for a year and when I came out I start to work on the archive and to say okay we are going to we need to organize all this <laughs> because it was working when you don't have a, a big archive but then it was increasing increasing it was such a it was not a mess because at least my father was quite well uh, organized but you know in some cases it was uh, and then the computer arrived so I start to build the database, which is very helpful. I can imagine. Much easier than doing it all manually. Now that you have the, in the artificial intelligence. So I have seen on the net some, sometime you have some creation in the, in after Dali. When I look at the question, I say, mm, that doesn't work. And then I was speaking with a friend. They say, okay, the robots still the work of the worker. Now, the intellectual intelligence, the artificial intelligence, is going to steal the intellectual work. 
And then I was like, mm, maybe one day it's an intellectual, uh, it's a, an, a, an artificial intelligence who is going to expertise the, 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 the piece. But when I saw the creation, I was like, no, that, that doesn't work. But probably an artificial intelligence uh, with all my archive will be able to do it. I think, meaning that the forger will have to understand the, the way of the artificial intelligence, how, how it works, then to trap it. Because now what you have, what I have in my hand is my subconscious, the context, because I hear, I remember the story of my father. But I think in the next generation, which are my daughter, I don't know if both of them or one is going to come after. But you know, the memory is going to to vanish. So all the little information about the context will disappear. So this is in the advantage of uh, of the forger of the, uh, or it's in the disadvantage of the artificial intelligence. But that's a big question, because uh, the artificial intelligence and now the the uh, the 3D creation that you can have uh, Dali speaking and uh, nobody will be able to say, is it fake or is it uh, real? That's very dangerous. But this is the... Yeah, but that's the game. This is the game. This is what is in question now for your generation and the next one. At the end, at the end of the way, you have Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, but I think at the end of the day, like even though with it being the game, the game will always be evolving. So it's up to both sides to to continue evolving. So while the forgers will continue to evolve, I would imagine from your side, you'll continue to evolve. Your daughters will continue to evolve and be able to parse through these things better as well. Yes. But you know, regarding this game, finally, at the end of the day, okay, you want to, to be sure that it's a real daddy or a fake. But what is important, it's the message. Looking for fits. Of course, you will have people who want to have a real Dali to hang on their on their wall, but this is, I wouldn't say it's bullshit, but for me, it's bullshit. What you need is to have a good reproduction or to be able to look at the painting in a place. And then it's more the message that is important life of these guys, what he was looking for, because it integrates yourself and your subconscious. This is, this is the best for the humanity. Yes, I would love, I would love to have the persistence of memory on, on my wall here, for sure. <laughs> of course, I think many people would like to have it on their wall. Yeah. But at the end of the day, to your point, it's about the message. And I think when it comes to, to AI artworks as well, AI will never be made with soul. I think computers don't have a soul and so it'll become, it's still important for individual artists and people to continue making art because they're able to put their soul into their work, which will create that impact you're talking about with the message that they're trying to share. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, Jacob. And Nicolas, this has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it was a pleasure also, Jacob. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. It was my first postcard, but I am at your disposal if you have a to talk about art in general or whatever. Of course. I will, I will definitely take you up on that at some point. Um, 
before we leave here today, I want to give you the floor. If Where can people find you? Do you have a website, an email? What's the best way if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? Usually, I don't like to have... Then we don't have to share anything. You can main, you can remain a mystery to everyone listening to this today if you would like. And you have you have my my uh, my 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 email is nicolas@deschamps.com. Perfect. You know, each time I say I say that, then I have people who send me email from all over the world with species which have nothing to do of Dali, and then you're like, but come on, how this how this could be. And then you have to reply and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I don't reply because you have like hundreds of email incoming. Well, if you want, I don't have to necessarily put that in the description. So if people want it enough, I'll make sure that they have to write it down from you saying it. I won't let them make it. The, 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 people, the people who are convinced that they have a Dalili and which are, are strong, they find out, they will find out to contact me, you know. They will call the Sotheby's or Christine, but they will get the stuff. But if you openly say it, then I am. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nicola, thank you once again. This has been so much fun. If one day you you have a pot, podcast about forgery, mm-hmm. you can ring. I will definitely let you know. And if for some reason you ever find yourself in Toronto, let me know. Drinks on me. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so I- much. Take care. Bye-bye.